fresh manna fell to the ground as a gift from God while the Israelites were in the wilderness. This is what they ate for 40 years. It was fresh from the ovens of heaven, baked by the master baker himself. How the Israelites must have anticipated the taste and the smell of each morning's delivery. Just like the Israelites, you too can now experience the taste and the smell of fresh manna. Today you will be listening to Garrett Morgan, pastor of Big Rapids, Bristol, and Reed City Seventh-day Adventist churches. And now, here's Pastor Garrett. Well, happy Sabbath, everyone. Good blessed to be in the Lord's house today. Amen. Praise the Lord. You know, one of my church members in Big Rapids says, not a Sabbath goes by that the sunshine doesn't peek out at least once. And, you know, I paid attention to our Sabbath days ever since she said that a few years ago. And if you look closely every Sabbath, you can see the sun peek through at some point of the day. And praise the Lord that we got some of that this morning. Well, before we get started here today, let's go ahead and have a word of prayer, and then we'll get right into our message. Father, Lord, we thank you for this Sabbath day, like we already have already. Lord, we thank you that we can come together to read from your word, your word that was literally breathed by God. Father, inspired to be written down, that we, generations later, can read what you would have us to know and do. Lord, so many things that we do today on your day are symbolic. Father, we thank you for your Sabbath, symbol of not only our salvation, but our creation and your promise of your coming. Lord, we just want to know more and more about you. And today, as we read from your word, may we not know more about the pastor, may we not know more about some doctrine, but Father, may we put in action what we learn more about you. We pray in your name. Amen. I'd like you to turn to a scripture verse here with us today in 2 Timothy. And in 2 Timothy chapter 1, we find a text that I'm sure is familiar to many of you. If it's unfamiliar, I would recommend that you memorize it, that you write it down, because there's going to come some point in your life that you will really need this text. But I'm sure many of you know it already. 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to take a look here at verse 7. It's a very recited text. I'm sure that you may have used it before, and if you haven't, I would encourage you to underline it and write it down and memorize it. But 2 Timothy 1.7 says this, For God has not given us the spirit of what? Of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Friends, today that text says something that's a very simplistic message, but it's a message that not only our world, but our church today desperately needs to hear and listen to. In reality, fear does not come from God, does it? Fear, worry, and anxiety does not come from God, according to the Bible. Now, that being said, we understand that there's a few different types of fear in the Bible. And to not be misunderstood, we know that 
The Bible tells us that we are to fear God, right? But in a way that is full of respect and of a deep love for who he is and what he does for us. Amen. That's the kind of fear that God longs for us to love him with. But the kind of fear that we're talking about today is different. It's the type of fear that makes your knees knock. It's the type of fear that keeps you up at night. It's the anxiety and the worrying that not only plagues us in this room today, but right now, more than ever before, at least in my lifetime, there is a lot of fear, not just in our country, but globally. Do you recognize that? It's obvious. As we read the Bible and this text that we just read and in other places, we find that part of God's plan does not include fear. God wants us to not fear, but he wants us, in fact, to move forward with courage, with power, and knowing that he is in complete control. You know, often we remind ourselves, I hope anyway, that when we read our text in the morning, when we do our devotions, when we read prophecy, when we see what God has done in our life, we know and we audibly say that God is in control, don't we? But it can be tempting and it can be discouraging when we watch the world around us. It's often tempting to think, yes, God may be in control, but why are all of these things happening? Well, as we look at this today, I'd like to take you to another text. 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, not the Gospel of John, but 1 John chapter 4. And of course, we understand and we realize that the God that we serve is a God of love. Amen? Everything that God is, God is synonymous with the word love. His relationship with you is based on this love. His law is based on this love. All of heaven and the angels, they all come around this type of love presented by God. And what does this love do? You know what's interesting about love? Love is not just a feeling. Amen. You know, often it has been so demoted to just a feeling or an expression. But true love, at least according to the Bible, includes action, doesn't it? And the love that our God has for us is not a love that is passive, but it's a love that does something. And notice what it does here in 1 John chapter 4. We're going to read here in verse 17. It says, Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. Just pausing there for just a moment. God wants your love to be made perfect in a relationship with him. Which is no surprise, because everything that God touches is perfection. Have you noticed that? In Psalms chapter 19, it says that the law of God is perfect, because God is perfect. In Genesis, in the creation account, when God made the world, everything that he created was good, and in fact, very good. May I dare say, perfect. Everything that God touches is perfect, but at the same time, the beings that God has created us to be have choice, don't we? And with that choice comes a risk. And I know that this is a story that is familiar to all of you, but notice what it says here in verse 18 of 1 John 4. 
There is no fear in what? There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out what? Fear, because fear has torment. He that fears is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If you haven't gotten the point already, I hope that you're getting it now, that God does not want us to be a fearful people. God does not support fear, but in reality, God wants to cast out fear from all of his creation. He did not create us to have fear or anxiety or worry. He wanted us to move forward with boldness and confidence, not in and of ourselves, but in him. Because we know without the shadow of a doubt that God is in control. He's in control of his church. He's in control of what's happening in our world today. Although it may seem like it's falling apart, God is still in control. In fact, if you go back to the book of Luke with me, we have a couple texts here today. Luke chapter 21, talking about what takes place right before the second coming of Jesus. We find something that is very familiar to what we're seeing around us today. Luke chapter 21 and verse 26, talking about the signs of the times. One of the keys of the signs of the times that will take place right before the second coming of Jesus is this word, fear. Luke 21, 26 says this, men's hearts failing them for what? Fear. And for looking after those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. Friends, today, a lot of fear is being advertised no matter where you turn. You turn on the radio in your car, as long as it's not strong tower radio, right? You turn on talk show radio, you're going to get fear. You turn on CNN or Fox or wherever you get your news, guess what they're selling? They're selling a healthy dose of fear. People are scared today. And I'm not even mentioning the virus that's taking place right now. People are walking in fear. And friends, we have the answer and the anecdote to fear, don't we? God's love casts out all fear. But do we live like it? Do we live like the perfect love of God that he is offering to each and every single one of us? Do we truly trust that he is in control? You know, human beings become addicted to some very interesting things. And when we think about addictions, we often think of physical things. We think of alcohol. We think of drugs. You might think of pornography. You might think of entertainment. And yes, we can become addicted to all of these things. But seldom do we talk about being addicted to other things that are more deep-rooted. Seldom do we talk about being addicted to gossip. Not very often do we talk about being addicted to bearing false witness. But friends, today I believe that one thing that many of us are addicted to is fear itself. Could it be that God's people, could it be that God's creation 
has become so accustomed to fear and to worry and to doubt that we've in fact become addicted to it. What would we do without it? What would we do without something to worry about or something to fear? But friends, the Bible still remains the same. Perfect love casts out all fear. But I believe there's a, I don't want to call it a lie, but there's a misunderstanding in Christianity today by many that I have often fallen into myself. We often think that if we're following God and we're following his plan, that he will never lead us into situations that cause fear. That he will never lead us into a situation that is dangerous and may tempt us to worry. But in reality, often, God will lead us into a situation that requires us to have faith in him. Amen? In fact, turn with me to the, one of the most popular chapters, if not the most popular chapter in the Bible, Psalms 23. And we find this right before our very eyes. Psalms 23, of course, being the shepherd's psalm, talks about the Lord being our shepherd and how we follow after him in all points of life, through the good and through the bad. And notice what it says here in Psalms chapter 23, verse 4. Notice where the shepherd is leading his people. Psalms 23, verse 4, it says this, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no what? will fear no evil. Friends, today, I don't know if you felt like it this past week. Maybe you're feeling it right now. But sometimes in your life, you feel like you're going through the valley of the shadow of death. And it could be that God has led you in a certain situation to a point that you have to make a decision. Am I going to find comfort in God or am I going to lay awake at night worrying about what I can do? Because notice where this sheep finds comfort in verse 4. The valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Amen. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Even in the midst of the most terrible time in the valley of the shadow of death, when we're tempted to shake and fear, God wants us to look at him and find comfort even in the midst of a storm. And friends, right now, if you think that we've been in a storm in this past year, I would agree with you, but there's another storm that's coming that we know that is far greater than this. And this has just been a practice run at how God's people are going to react. Are we going to worry? Are we going to focus on ourselves? Or are we going to look at our Savior and say, as long as I'm following Jesus, he's in control. I'll tell you, when I'm looking inward during times of difficulty, and I'm looking to myself for strength, there is a lot to be fearful of. Because time and time again, people have let me down. Time and time again, when I needed somebody during that time when I was in a difficult situation, and I relied on somebody else too often, I've been let down. And the one that lets me down the most is the one that I see every morning looking at me in the mirror. We as humanity are used to being let down. We're used to being betrayed. We're used to being hurt. 
And when we understand that there is a God that will never hurt us, when we see that there is a God that will never let us down, when we understand that there is a God that will be there for us every single time, it's often so hard to just trust him with everything, isn't it? Because we're scarred. We've been hurt. We've been broken. We've been jaded. And everything within our defense mechanism tells us not to give everything over to a being because it's vulnerable. And if that vulnerability is cut, then it hurts. But I'm here to tell you today, my friends, that through my experience and through what we see in the Bible, that God will never let you down. God not only wants to provide you comfort during a storm, God not only wants to give you goodness and mercy, but he wants to give you confidence. He wants to give you power. He wants to give you a drive to not only make it through a trial, but to completely conquer whatever it is that you're going through. This is what the Bible means when it says that perfect love casts out all fear. But I believe there's another source of fear that we often don't talk about as much as we should. Because fear is a very, in fact, I would even argue one of the best methods of driving somebody to an action, right? Or a decision or movement at all. And fear has a starting point. Fear has a root. Where does this fear often come from? We all have fear. We all struggle with worrying. Where is it that this fear and worry comes from? Let's look at another verse here. You're already in Psalms. Psalms 32. Psalms chapter 32 Verse 1, Psalms 32, verse 1 says this, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Amen? Hallelujah. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputes not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. But verse 3 is interesting. When I kept silence about his sin. My bones waxed old through my roaring all day long. Friends, David is saying here that when his body is fearing and worried and anxious, and not only affects him spiritually, but it feels like it's drying up his bones. It's something that's from the core of his very being, right? And it's affecting him. And what is it that's affecting him and causing this fear in his life when he's kept silent about his transgression? When he hasn't come to God with those sins that he knows he has in his life, when he's silent and doesn't ask for forgiveness, that fear begins to creep up all the more. Friends, one of the main sources of fear in our lives is not necessarily what happens around us, but it's what's happening in us. The devil loves for God's people to be fearful. 
He wants us to be fearful about the second coming of Jesus. He wants us to be fearful about God in general. In fact, the devil loves it when we're scared of him. Any way that the devil can to make God's people scared, he's happy about it. And friends, often I cause that fear myself by not asking God to forgive me for my sins. And again, it's a very simple message, but notice what it says here. Go to Romans, if you would. We just read about David, and and Romans here, in in Romans chapter 4, actually gives commentary on the same verse that we just read here in Psalms. Romans chapter 4, verse 6. Romans chapter 4 and verse 6. We don't want to be fearful. We want to be blessed. Amen. Romans 4, 6 says this, even as David also described the blessedness of the man, we just read about it, unto whom God imputes righteousness without works, saying, blessed are they in whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. When we talk about the second coming of Christ, are you excited or are you petrified? And if you're scared or nervous about the second coming of Jesus, a very good question to ask yourself is why? And usually the root of that question, why, comes back to some unresolved something that you haven't turned over to Jesus. Not to change thoughts or anything, but it relates One thing that I detest is laundry. I'm telling you, I can't stand doing laundry. And this has not been something that plagued me just in my adult life, but this has been, this is how I was born. I was born hating laundry. I was born carnal, right? In fact, I would much rather just buy new clothes than wash my old ones. My poor wife, when she visited my apartment before we got married to see what her home was going to look like, walked into one of the rooms with a mound of laundry, which was all dirty, I may add, to which she asked, why do you have so many clothes? To which I said, I just buy more when they get dirty. I detest laundry. However, when I was a child, something worked out really well. I was raised in a pretty traditional family, and we were raised on a cherry orchard, and so the boys were expected to do a lot of work outside. And of course, we knew how to do the basics around the house. We knew how to cook just a little bit. But one of the things that my mom did for the boys, because we did a lot of work outside, was we didn't have to do our laundry, which was pretty sweet. However, she didn't want to coddle us. So, and I'm the oldest of seven children, and so the laundry was constantly going in our home. And so we were given a certain day every week, depending on, you know, and you were given, let's say Tuesday was your day for laundry, and all you would have to do was take your dirty laundry and bring it to the laundry room and leave it there. And then when you got to your room that night, your laundry would be folded in a basket, and all you'd have to do was put them away. It was a great system. And it got even better when I got married because I come home and they're just already in my drawer. Thank you, sweetheart. 
But you know, as easy as that was, it was still too hard for eight-year-old Garrett. I just couldn't stand anything to do with laundry, even if it meant taking my dirty clothes to the laundry room, and that was it. Just too much work. Well, one day, when I was eight, I came up with a brilliant plan. My dresser was quite large, and there was a fair amount of room behind it. So I thought to myself, instead of having dirty clothes in my laundry basket, I'll just throw them behind my dresser, hence no dirty laundry to take to the laundry room. But it didn't take very long, because I'm eight years old, don't have time or money to go buy new clothes like I did later. But I began to think as I laid down at night when I was eight years old, judgment day is coming. There's going to come a time when somebody finds out. It petrified my little heart. But it didn't take very long for my parents to realize this kid has no clothes. What's going on? And they began to realize his room stinks a little bit. And it began to get worse and worse until finally, and I don't know if you've ever done this in your house when they were young people, but sometimes mostly the boys' rooms eventually would get just out of control. And so on some given Sunday, my parents would announce, it is time to muck out your room. And the furniture would be moved to the center, and everything would be organized and cleaned, and we would start fresh. And my mother and father announced on that Sunday that it was time to muck out my room. And my heart skipped a beat. Judgment day had come. And the dresser was finally moved, and all of the dirty clothes fell out from behind them, and there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. <laughs> Let me tell you. I don't remember what my punishment was, but it seemed like the end of the world that day. But it was brutal. And as funny and innocent as that story may be, there's a very valid question to ask. What is behind the dresser of your heart? We all have things in our lives that we may not see as a big deal, so we sweep them under the rug. We put them behind the dresser and we say, Lord, this isn't a big deal. We'll just leave it there. But the stench continues. And I'll tell you, it's not like we have to do a lot to have our laundry done for us. God has made it as easy as possible. We come to him and we simply acknowledge what we need done. And he will clean it and fold it and put it there for you to put it away. But for so many of us, like little eight-year-old me, it's just too hard. Or maybe it's just not worth it. Or it could be that we just hate repentance. There was fear in my little mind. And friends, today, there is fear in many of God's people that stems from sins behind your heart's dresser. And I don't know what they may be, and frankly, it's not my business to know, but God knows that they're there already.
He doesn't want you to fear. He wants you to have confidence. He wants you to have robes of righteousness, doesn't he? And he simply asks for us to bring them to him, and he will take care of the rest. Friends, where are you today? Where's your fear coming from? Because we know that it's not of God. God longs for us to have confidence in him because he is in control. Father, we no longer want to be Aikens in the camp with something buried under our tent. Father, we want the corners of our hearts to be clean. Lord, we want you to create in us a clean heart. And Father, we know that there is nothing that we can do on our own power to do that. But Father, you have given us the keys to your kingdom. Lord, we ask that we would fall upon you during these times of need. That Lord, when you lead us on in this life, whether it be in the valley of the shadow of death, whether it be on a clear sailing day, Lord, may we always lean upon your power in our lives. We pray in your name. Amen. You have been listening to Garrett Morgan, pastor of Big Rapids, Bristol, and Reed City Seventh-day Adventist Churches. If you enjoyed this sermon, why not visit one of his churches this coming Sabbath or a church near you listed on strongtowerradio.org. You will find the Big Rapids Seventh-day Adventist Church at 1031 Rose Avenue in Big Rapids, and their church service begins at 9.30 a.m. Or visit the Bristol Seventh-day Adventist Church located at 11-225 East 8 Mile Road in Tustin, and their church service begins at 11.30 a.m. Or visit the Reed City Seventh-day Adventist Church located at 17-290 U.S. Highway 10 in Hersey, and their church service begins at 3 p.m. This program has been a Strong Tower Radio production.